0: This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's the place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting, different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome, board folks. Dr. Charles Parker here one more time. And we have another in our series of terribly interesting guests here. And this particular person is going to talk about some of the larger questions that we have that we've been asking our guests to talk about here at Core Brain Journal for the we've been up and running for two years, and you know, it's one of the things we are very interested in is the evolution of neuroscience in data recognition, the application of data, and the structure of the evolution of how those things need to take place. We're in a very evolutionary time in psychiatry here. And what happens is if we use that time effectively like this conversation, we can actually contribute to the change that everybody's looking for. So we have Kyra Bobinette, Dr. Kyra Bobinette. She is an MD and a master's in public health out in beautiful downtown California. (laughs) (laughs) And she's joining us. Kyra, thanks so much for coming on board. Appreciate it.
1: It's a pleasure to be here, Dr. Parker. Thank you for having me.
0: Call me Chuck. Okay, Chuck. We're going to be first names. You got it. Get it done. So, Kara is a person who's loaded with information. Let me give you a little bit of an introduction for her in just a moment after I tell you about our sponsors. So, Core Journal is sponsored by Great Plains Laboratory. They are deep international biomedical testing leaders for improved, targeted mind science details. As both laboratory and webinar global thought leaders... They provide the most comprehensive set of hard data measurement tools for real biomedical answers beyond the commonplace guesswork that's going on all the time. They also provide, this is interesting, multiple training webinars for both the public and, interestingly, the medical providers that would need to use that data effectively in their offices globally. Check out their website for references, testing details, and webinars, and take note of this. In the partnership with us, you can register with them for a complimentary test drawing. They're giving away a test every week. And this week, they have a selection test. You have to go over and see which one they're going to have up. But the specific testing answers can come from even a simple urine sample. And they're over at greatplainslaboratory.com forward slash CBJ for Core Brain Journal. Why not take a shot at getting a test and we'll get the reading done for you as well. So having said that, let me introduce you to Kyra. She's just a very interesting person. We had a great conversation getting started and she's very uh, well-versed in a, in a broad number of topics. I was hesitating there for a moment because she's both in California. She's been on the East Coast, the West Coast, So she went to UCSF School of Medicine and the Harvard School of Public Health. And she won accolades and awards, including the 2015 Innovator Award from the Harvard T.H. Kahn School of Public Health, as well as past service awards from the University of California in San Francisco and the mayor of San Francisco. But it hasn't been enough. She's been restless to give others, including our group here at Core Brain Journal, the best possible solutions so they can reach a whole new level within themselves. And with so many great resources and authors out there, she first wondered what she was going to do, and then she figured it out. Her specialty is bringing two medicines to you, behavioral change, get this folks, and design thinking. Through her love of science, she's helped decipher really complicated concepts and translate them into useful insights to help you build your own self awareness likewise she always has been a designer so she does she likes classical categories like fashion interior decor or graphic design i think what's going on here is i'm used to reading shorter sentences <laughs> 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 and you've got so much going on here it's really great so thank you so much for coming on board i'm going she's also an author as well we're going to talk about her book as well so Let's get on it. So first of all, let me ask you this question. It's a simple, basic question. Kyra, so how did you get interested in this combination of things? You're a medical, you're a physician. Yeah. And then you had this whole concept of let's take this medical interest and this healing mission, but let's box it up differently. Let's really think more completely about it, which is really what we do here. But how did you yourself get started on that path?
1: So, you know, my my origin story with that was I had a patient, I was doing some community work in Oakland, California, and at a community clinic. And I had a patient walk in one day and he was sort of a mid 50s guy and had a gouty toe, very basic. And as I'm writing the script, which those days was handwritten, he was sharing with me his story. And I said, So what happened? You know, and he said, Well, a couple of days ago I did meth and I haven't been asleep since. So it was meth that turned into dehydration, which turned into the gouty toe, which I was writing the pill for. And I had this epiphany of, wow, like I really, I was writing a prescription for the toe, but I really wanted to write a prescription for the brain. Yeah. And that, that mm-hmm. was kind of my lifelong interest, which I didn't know because there's no behavior change degree in college or in medical school or anything. And so you know, I, once I realized that, then I realized I don't want to do prescriptions anymore. I wanted to do more sort of large-scale public health sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Went to Harvard and then went to a big payer. And I was fortunate enough to be the main person on the medical side who designed large-scale interventions for behavior change.
0: Wow, what was, that, what was that outfit? What were you doing there? Um, I, mean, was I
1: was that? the medical director of health and, and wellness innovation at Aetna. And oh it gosh. was a whole different, like, you know, kind of uh, behavioral and care management area, not the insurance area, that helped people to be healthier, did a lot of preventive medicine kind of things.
0: This is really interesting, Kyra, because we're so much on the same path. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to have to talk to you more about this after we get offline. Yeah. I to bond with you just on that point. That was a total. <laughs> But, you know, the issue is what you're saying is you had a tremendous, excellent exposure to a wide variety of problems and what you could begin to do from a larger perspective in designing techniques for managing them in a more constructive way. And I'm sure, because you were with Aetna, a more cost-effective way.
1: That's right. And, you know, so looking at it from a population section, you know, we did childhood obesity. We did end-of-life caregiving. We did diabetes text programs you know to help people with their diabetes management. we did mindfulness, that was one of the projects that I brought to Etna was a mindfulness-based stress reduction because the stress reduction programs that I saw in the wellness space were very inconclusive and, and not really showing a lot of efficacy. So I, I looked at that uh, very carefully. and so those are the kinds of things that I would create.
0: Well, let's talk more about that because that sure. is a topic that is so interesting yes. for our, our listeners is okay. that whole mindfulness space. I mean, it's yeah. is, is like, boom, you're right on a topic. Did, so uh, if you don't mind, I don't know if it's a corporate secret or whatever, but what did you guys do with that? Because to me, it's so absolutely essential and so frequently overlooked.
1: Right. And so this was in the late 2008, 2009 era. And I had uh, come from Harvard where, you know, back in 1999, actually I started meditating myself because I came up with like a life crisis of, of sorts. And it really helped me to be more productive and to be more calm and kind of be more in control of the brain. That, you know, This is an engine. And we don't realize that people don't have control over their engine. They don't know how to drive their engine. They don't know what it does. They don't know what accelerates or decelerates it and things like that. And so, you know, mindfulness to me was a tool to really start to shift people into you know that metacognitive state of knowing how to regulate their emotions knowing how to regulate their thoughts and basically shape their own experience so that's i think the first step of you know really putting somebody in the driver's seat and having them drive their own life and be in control and and have a powerful life themselves so what happened was i knew this coming to aetna but you know these were people in hartford connecticut my boss was in hartford I was then stationed back in California as a telehealth or teleworker.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I remember distinctly creating this PowerPoint, pulling all the science together, and then sharing it over a web conference. And I, you know, I was going through every point by point, you know, it helps with this, it helps with that, it helps with this. And I stopped. And this is a very large group of people, and it was just crickets, you know, it was like there was nobody, mm-hmm. nobody had ever heard of this. Nobody knew what I was talking about. People thought I was kind of-
0: amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It is.
1: It is. And it was just early. It was super early. So, you know, people were kind enough to connect me to other people in Aetna who had an interest in things. And there was kind of all kinds of woo-woo beliefs that I ran into of people. And mm -hmm. and I wasn't interested in that, even though that might work in their world. I'm more interested in the stuff that had the evidence base behind it. So then Mark Bertolini, who at the time was the president, now the CEO of Aetna, was very interested in yoga. And so somebody had connected us. And as I did my pitch to him, he said, well, I'll give you money to do a study, but you have to include yoga as one of the treatment arms. I'm like, sure, that's fine. So we did a study with Duke University as our IRB, Mm -hmm. and they basically ran it, and we've got really good results. It's built since then to show kind of the continuum of if you reduce stress at a clinical efficacious level, then you also can control somebody's healthcare costs while making them healthier and having less disease. And so it's been a very, very successful program.
0: Well, that is so interesting. Now, how do you actually help large providers like that, managed care facilities, monitor, encourage, develop? What do they have? Like, hey, here's a requirement for this person. They're gonna be doing this and this, but we want them to do this as well. How does all that work?
1: I believe that you know there's this kind of Venga diagram of benefit where somebody who is paying the bills for your health care and your behavior can come together in a win-win situation. So in this case, me as a person being healthier and taking care of myself and being in that empowered state actually benefits somebody else for not having all those healthcare costs and all that poor health. So not only do I live a better life, but the person sponsoring me at my, either my employer who's paying for my insurance or whatever is actually, you know, not taking the hit as well.
0: It actually sounds like a number of big steps in there to actually make it happen. Because I know why the reason I'm asking the question is I know the resistance on an office level to mm. getting some of these other things even translated into yes. some way. So I am yes. like the handout King. I got all kinds of handouts. I got videos, I got this and that. So I'm constantly trying to get the person. I say, look, Part of the thing of working with me is I'm not going to just work at fixing you. Yeah. I'm going to train you to help me fix mm-hmm. you. So mm-hmm. if you can talk to me like a fellow professional, which I'm going to do everything I can to tell you how to do that, then you can tell me what I need to know, and I'll tell you back what I think we should do, and we we'll work together that way. We have a team. But it's, that is an additional serious effort that requires the patient to really get involved on a completely different level. But I think yeah. there's so many opportunities there
1: yeah absolutely and and you know in my work now we'll get to that i'm sure but you know the the main thing that i've found is that there's basically two types of people in the world there's people who think like designers who who are in this empowered state who are very iterative or or that they tinker with reality or they experiment a lot and then there's everybody else and the mm-hmm. people who yeah. think like designers are the only ones who change their behavior no matter what the domain is if it's their career if it's their health, if it's their child's health, whatever that is.
0: That's an interesting characteristic. I think it's really, and I like the word metacognition. I want to bring that up because you said it quickly. And I think some of our listeners may not even know what metacognition is. Mm. But I'm going to make it very simple. It's thinking about thinking. Okay. So what happens is if we're actually thinking about the process and the process itself, rather than being involved in the process without thinking about it, so if we have a metacognitive approach to what we're actually doing with our professional colleagues as patients, or amongst ourselves as professionals, and we actually thinking about that process, then we're in a metacognitive level and we're going to be designers based yeah, on right. what Kyru was talking about here. Because that's right. We're going to then think about how can we create something new because we know what's broken, because we can see that it's broken instead of we're going to remain in denial and just keep swimming with our you know, water things on or something like that
1: that's right, and that, and that's the power gear because you don't have to be scared of the word metacognitive, you know you basically you're listening to or watching this podcast, and then there's the part of you that's watching you listen or watch this podcast, so mm-hmm. that right there, what I did was you know the listeners are like in that metacognitive gear in that moment of like, oh yeah, I am observing myself watching or listening to this happening, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the space, once people get familiar with that gear, once they kind of figure out how that feels to be in that state of mind, they are more able to come from that place, more able to really govern what happens. It is the executive control seat, right?
0: Absolutely. And I think there are two issues. One is permission, because what you're doing is you're saying, look, I'm giving you permission to respond to me at the level of who I am as a professional. I'm giving you permission to have to disagree with me. I'm mm-hmm. giving you permission to add something up from Google that you happen to look at that you think is important that, that maybe I don't know about. Mm-hmm. That We're going to be on this whole different level of communication, which is what participatory medicine is really all about, exactly. as opposed to I'm the person that's an expert. Just please don't bother me with a lot of questions right now because I just have to nail this down for you. And if you have a problem, really don't whine too much because there are problems out there and I'm going to do what I can to stay in denial if you come back and have a problem.
1: Well, and that's, that's amazing how, how much ego there is. If somebody's threatened, that's just this indicator that their ego is too fragile to be participatory, Mm -hmm. but the more stable, the more sort of metacognitive, curious and self-assured physician partners can help co-design with us as patients. You know, when we're all patients at various you know, we, you know, we're all in that state. And so how can we come together in a way that everybody feels secure and validated?
0: It's so, so completely true. I mean, that's excellent. So let's talk about, I'm going to ask you one question, then we're going to take a break in just a minute. But this next question is, I think, absolutely germane to what we're talking about, because we're kind of talking quasi-theoretically about this. So let's talk, let's take it down to the street level. So what do you then, what would be some of the important things you see on a let's start with individuals? We're gonna in a moment talk more about the larger picture, but yeah. from an individual point of view, in terms of a specific patient. Now, of course, with the complexity is there are no specific patients, but what would you say we could do as professionals who are trying to redesign this whole situation on an individual level with patients in the office? Do you have any specific suggestions? about how we can reconsider what we're doing?
1: So I think everybody needs to know one thing, which is that people can change their behavior in any which way as long as they keep trying. And so fundamentally, the diagnosis of failure is stopping trying. And why is that? Because there is an area in the brain called the habenula, which is a more recently characterized part of the thalamus, and it registers failure. And if it registers failure, then it basically downregulates and kills my motivation to try again. And so we've got a whole epidemic of habenula killing motivation and people stopping and then what when they stop then they feel embarrassed or they feel ashamed or they feel frustrated, guilty, whatever that is. And so if the physicians know about the habenula, if the patients know about the habenula, if we as people living our lives, parents know about habenula, then we know how to design an alternative frame. You're in psychiatry, like, you know, there's a lot of reframing that we need to do around what it is that we're trying to do and why it's never over. It's never too late and you're not bad. And been there, done that isn't a real thing. And why iteration, which is my favorite word these days, being iterative and and thinking like a designer and doing version one, version two, version three, version four is the way out of that.
0: Yeah, iteration is a synonym for change, folks. It's like making that change happen in a constructive way. You know? And then your designer, as you were saying a moment ago, and then and that's, that's very interesting. So here's what I'm going to ask you when we get back. We're going to take a little break here. And what we're going to ask you when we come back is a larger question, because where you've been, the kind of work you've been doing, when you're working with large organizations like Aetna, you are not just a well-informed street person you're a professional with a street person's wisdom because you've had so much come at you from those lofty points. Because if you're going to live in that environment, you've had a tremendous exposure to many different opinions and ideas in, in terms of how this whole thing can evolve. So that's what I'm going to ask when we get back. Because I think a person like you, because you're so deep and you have such a similar interest to all of us who are listeners and participants in Core Brain Journal, because we're so similar in that regard, it's going to be great to hear what you say when we come back in just a moment. What your thoughts are about how that evolution can take place more constructively, more consistently on two levels. One are the are there things we need to do with managed care. That's a big one because that's where you've been. But then take it from that large lofty place to what can individual practitioners do in the office to make these kinds of things that we're talking about actually take place more effectively. Mm -hmm. So folks, we're gonna be back and listen to Kyra in just a moment. We'll be back. Thanks for listening. Today, the world of mind science, psychiatry and mental health is rapidly changing with innovative comprehensive testing that takes both patients and practitioners into a new world of measured details with useful, understandable and remarkably actionable plans. The key phrase here is cost effective. Testing also introduces a key parallel word for predictability. Psychiatric treatment failure, especially after multiple medications and our brief hospitalizations, arises directly from the complexity of measurable brain body imbalances and impediments that explicitly interfere with medical outcomes and create costly difficulties with inadequately informed supplement and medication trials over time. Great Plains provides a leadership team of biomedical experts with advanced laboratory insights, approved nationally both by the FDA and CLIA Laboratory Certifications, and is available internationally for both public and medical professions. Great Plains Laboratory is the primary laboratory we've used at Core site for years with excellent customer service for both patients and medical colleagues. They are on the spot. They get it every time. In addition, they provide exemplary training modules, which are webinars and conferences in an effort to broaden practice perspectives wherever you live. Do follow up on one of these complimentary test offers today at http forward slash CBJ. Yeah, that's Core Brain Journal CBJ. Okay, folks, here we are back again with Dr. Kyra Bobinette, MD, MPH, CEO and founder of Engaged In. We haven't even talked about her website yet, but really what we're going to do is ask her this question, and we're going to get how we can get connected with her because she is on a mission, folks. As you can tell from the conversation, she's on a mission to make these things happen on a much larger scale, which I applaud her for. We're so pleased that she came on with us. So, but let's get down to some of the practicality of how do we do this on the large scale and how do we do this on the small scale? What are your thoughts about either one of those to start?
1: Yeah, so on the large scale, you know, it's somewhat of a scaled out version of what I said about the doctor-patient relationship that we talked about before the break. We need to have a general knowledge of how our brains work and specifically around our tendency to believe that it's all over for us. And the way out of that is to scale out this mindset around iteration as the solution. And so what that means is that instead of apps that track your goals, they should track your iterations. Instead of you setting a fixed goal for something, you need to focus on the process. That's what the Alabama coach says. You know, He's like, focus on the process, not the prize. So I think that wisdom from just football fields needs to come into a large-scale mindset shift, and let go of some of this magical thinking around you know, tracking behaviors and goals. Those are all really good to, for you know, really honing our attention and spending our attention wisely. But the problem with that is that we, if we hate ourselves at the end, if we think we failed, then it's not the right model for us. So everything needs to be re-engineered to think this way.
0: That is so true. I mean, it's really, and I think that's really what we do try to do here. Every guest that I have is on that same mission, to tell you the truth. We have, that's wonderful. Uh, we got about 270 guests now, and, and uh, I, I can't remember what, what number you are right now, but that's a lot of people who are very significant thought leaders who are coming in and saying, very similar perspective, sharing their perspective, very similar to yours. Mm. So then the issue would be to keep saying, the process has to change. And the next level is, you know, how do we actually do that? How did that actually go in a large organization like Aetna? How did that actually evolve for you and with you in Aetna?
1: So I think that, you know, I feel very proud that I was able to do intervention design, you know, with the mindfulness, with metabolic medicine, those kinds of things. And then I left and I went to Stanford and learned behavior design. I think design thinking helps to close some of the gaps between people who are figuring out interventions, people at large companies who basically create things that people don't use sometimes. And so now I would say that I know how to do it better, you know, and that's designing things for the brain that work with instead of against the brain, right? And Mm -hmm. then number two is, you know, really spreading this, this iterative mindset as the solution and getting everything that I touch and everyone that I talk to to think like that so that we're focused on the right outcome. When we're working with a patient or working with a system, it's all the same. We need to get everybody in that system to think iteratively and to have a mindset shift because that's the most compassionate thing. We stop trying because we think we failed. We stop trying because we hate ourselves. There's a lot of just emotional baggage that is completely unnecessary. And the way out of that is to have a better mindset about it and have a different target than what we thought before. And then, of course, there's the whole healthcare economics world, right? There's what's being paid for, what's not being paid for. That's a whole other design (laughs) challenge. But we can do it, though. We can find these these hot spots, I would say, where there's shared aligned interests between the risk holder, Mm -hmm. whether it's the employer or Medicare or Aetna, and the patient. And if the patient and the people are in an empowered state around their health, then they're going to be of value to the risk holder. And that that relationship is right now broken. So if we fix that particular thing, where you know I'm not going to act naughty just because I'm have some entitlement, and I'm going to take control over my life on the person side, and mm-hmm. then on the payer side and on the risk holder side, saying you know what, I will support you and I will I will treat you differently and I will honor you if you make those changes.
0: I think it's so interesting what you're saying because uh, really I'm being a bit reductionistic in. In responding to what you're saying, by talking about this process thing just a little more. Sure. In that, if we own the pain of where we are, instead of denying the pain of where we are, right. Instead of saying the system is wonderful, we really love it, and everybody's really being taken care of well, Mm -hmm. if we said there are some definite things that are going along quite well with the system, but let's identify the pain that does occur because Mm -hmm. the lessons in life come from the pain. They don't come from, hey, we got it and a pat on the back. Everybody, right. Nobody changes with a pat on the back. They change when they actually have to face the reality that what they're doing is of limited value and has perhaps negative consequences in the long term for that person's life over time. And mm-hmm. this is a key thing that I think, Kyra, this is really relevant. You're talking about this without quite saying it. But one of the themes that I think is so important in this conversation that we're having, as soon as you say the word process, you're talking about time. That's right. Time is a variable that is not looked at effectively in this whole conversation. Yep. Because it's like there is no time. We're only Mm -hmm. talking about the data when the test was taken. And so, what happens in the evolution of time, like, and time would have to do with the process of doctor patient relationships participatory medicine, an evolution in the conversation with each individual patient in each individual office, an evolution of the conversation over time with whether that intervention was successful at preventing another thing down the road. It fixed it, but did it have anything to do with preventing it so it doesn't happen again, either from the patient's information point of view or from the actual application of medical care?
1: Can I share my fantasy
0: with you? Sure, please. My fantasy is
1: that the doctor-patient interaction, whether it happens online or or in the office, focuses on building up a process instead of education on a particular thing that can be found on Google. Like, this is what needs to happen. Here's the behavior that needs to happen. Where do you want to put your measurement tool? Where do you want to put your vitamins? Where do you want to put your toothbrush? Like, you know, designing the environment with the two people together right? Mm-hmm. And using that time in a precious way. And let's, let's see if you'll do it, Chuck. Let's see if you go home and actually do that. And if you don't, by the way, don't hate yourself. We just need to iterate on it, yeah. right? And if we spend our time that way, then when you come back, then we can kind of be in partnership around it. And we're spending our time productively.
0: Kara, I say that to patients all the time. I mean, we're so compatible on this point here, because yes. they say, look, it's really simple. I'm not going to be mad at you if you don't do what I tell you to do. You know what's going to happen? You're going to be in more pain than you were today when you were talking to me. And right. I'm relaxed about that. I know right. that's going to happen because I've seen it happen repeatedly. Now, my, my medical zeal might take a position of demanding and being in a frenzy and being angry if you don't do it and all that sort of thing. But I'm relaxed about that because I know you will be back. And if you don't really do this the way we're talking about it, you're going to come back and you're going to ask me for something and you'll get a kick out of this because in psychiatry we see this happen all the time you know it's so important that developmental time between 17 and 25 mm-hmm. because people are so not adult even though they think they're adults they're still working on what they're going to do so I have somebody come in and fight with me cats and dogs about it. here's what I, here's the medication here's what I think you need to do and I'm a physician no matter how kind I am no matter how thoughtful I am no matter how much I engage him, no matter how much I do the guy to guy thing with them, it doesn't matter. They're like, you know, as they say in the street, screw it. I don't really need to bother with you, my man. I'm, I'm over this. Mm-hmm. They come back. They failed out of the freshman year of school. They're out there fixing shoes or something. Mm-hmm. And they're 24, 25 years old. And they're like, their chin is down. They're like, Hey, I know you're probably mad at me. I was so disrespectful to you back. So look, I am not mad. I pretty well told you. This is a shot, and I knew you were upset about the whole thing, but the way life works is that when you don't do it correctly, you will pay the price. I don't pay the price, so there's no reason of being upset with you. Mm-hmm. And they come back, and then we start to work. They're like, I'm ready to do. Tell me whatever I got to do. I'm sick of this thing. And mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting mm-hmm. because if you have that kind of attitude, then what you're doing is you're a person, you, me, whoever, you're taking away the time variable by relaxing with time. Mm-hmm. Because time is your friend. Time is a teacher. That's right.
1: And I think what you did there is and what I wish people would do more often is you plant a recall button. And you say, okay, if this doesn't work or this this you'll turn over here and you know it's just like giving somebody directions to this the restaurant like you go there, if you go here you went too far. Like just this landscaping that for them gives them a mental model so that when they see those signs those signals, they're like, Oh, that's my recall moment. Like I've got to go back and check in. So it's, we just don't, these things work. We just don't have the training across the board to make everybody effective at that
0: yet. That's so true. Well, we're working on it. Kyra, let's talk about what you're doing right now, because we, we've talked a lot about some, talked about specific things. We talked about some global things. Let's talk about your particular mission at this moment please
1: yes so right now we have a project called fresh try tri.com and we are building a habit formation software based on practice and iteration so the process of behavior change with walmart and uh, we're really excited to co-develop with their associates because these are people that have two jobs they get very little sleep they're single moms like you know there's a lot of pressure on these po- so it needs to be really lightweight really easy to do really simple not a lot of brain burn and yeah. it's around healthy eating right now everything in there is either coming from scientific literature you know things that have been proven to change people's eating habits or from other people who have dramatically and long term changed their lives because right now what people do is say hey you look great what do you do and the person's like well i i take this supplement or whatever and then that person tries it but that may not be good for their bodies, and it may not be effective for them as well. So I'm really trying to crowdsource uh, behavior change at a scale that is million-person scale and help people, and it's free. And so I'm, it's a public health, in my mind, it's a public health service to have this thing out there so that people can be more effective at changing their habits.
0: So you say it's free. Is it an app or something? or how? Wh- yes. what?
1: It's an app on the App Store, freshtry.com. And somebody can go to Android or to the Apple Store and get it. So that that's kind of my my dream is to liberate people from shame, guilt, failure, and really make it easy to practice something that's really lightweight, that's already been vetted on the science side, and there's no commercial interest involved.
0: I'm really looking forward to looking at that because that's something we could very easily recommend. I mean, okay. I think we should just this is something that every single practitioner that's listening to this. Yeah. Needs to do it because what you're saying is, look, we're not doing something for diabetes. We're not doing something for schizophrenia. Right. We're doing something for the big picture. Yeah. And this is how that person handles themselves in the process of self-development and That's self-management.
1: Right. That's right. And it passively trains them with the right mindset of process, practice, iteration, non-judgment of self those kinds of things. And so I'm really uh, hopeful. I mean, and we're, we're improving it every day. This is you know an ongoing process, but we do have a stake in the ground so far and we're, it'll just get better and better, the experience. And I look forward to people's feedback too. So this is a co-develop, giant co-development with everybody. And you said we, this mm-hmm. is a we project in my mind. Of, you know, just mm-hmm. I, I have a lot of physician collaborators tell me what they want to see happen and, and how to shape it differently and how to improve it. And I
0: very much welcome that. Well, I'm gonna be a collaborator as soon as we hang up here. <laughs> so that's stay awesome. on because I got I got some ideas for you. That's it's been great. very, very entertaining and very interesting listening to you. So so how can people go ahead and contact you? How would you prefer people connect with you?
1: Sure. So um my company is engagedin.com. I have a book, Well Designed Life, which is some of what we talked about in more, you know, 10 lessons in brain science and design thinking. Yeah. Um, that's on Amazon. It's on audiobook. If you have a commute those are, I just really want to get the concepts out there and and the principles out there. I want everybody to know how their brain works. And I've, you know, I'm very proud of the book because it basically breaks it down for non-scientists, but also speaks enough science to be credible um, for those people who know more than I do. But that way, you know, we kind of all have this shared set of skills and tools.
0: Well, we're going to have those on your show notes. So if somebody comes over to listen to this podcast, and pops over to the show notes they'll be able to go all the stuff will be linked there and all these things and i'm going to check the app out and see if i can get a link to the app so we can get the apps squared away for both uh android and and uh apple sure and uh that sounds great we really appreciate you coming on board you know we'd like to invite you to come back again and we really this would be the kind of thing where because you and i are so much on the same path and i'm I don't want to personalize it too much because the truth of the matter is everybody that's listening to this program is on the same path with us. That's right. Period. If they stuck through the conversation here, they would love to have you back because you are so much on the right path. So if you have you, your colleagues, you have another idea, Hey, here's a little wrinkle about something that we've discovered that would be good and personally useful in the process of your own, your own development. Please feel, just get in contact with Tiffany. Tiffany is the contact person. You have her material. And we'd be loved to have you come back on because there's so many it interesting things. Child development, what's All going on. Psychiatry yeah. is completely needs significant development. We'll talk about that later. But <laughs> bottom, line, bottom line is we'd be happy to have you come back. We really appreciate you spending your time with us. I would love to. Thank you so much. Well, listen, you have a good evening. You too. Thank you All for right. having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Cobrain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive, misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications like those written for ADHD are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.